everybody. You are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. A hundred years ago, frugality was seen as somebody who is creative, who is resilient, who can reuse and repurpose things. Like when you were frugal, you were seen as a really intelligent person uh, who really valued quality and keeping their things well-functioning, right? So it was this lauded quality about you. And over the last hundred years, marketers have made us believe that we are consumers first and people second. So to be a person of worth, you must be a consumer. You're not of worth simply because you are a person. Welcome, everybody, to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. It's going to be a really good one. If you are thinking about how you can start being more uh, intentional in your spending and how, you know, you can like define frugality, I think a lot of us think about intentional spending and it's just kind of like a ho-hum, do I really have to think about this? I just want to go do what I want to go do. But the consequences of that, as we have discussed many times in our budgeting podcasts and our debt podcasts, can be gnarly. So we don't want to do that. And today's guest is going to shed a light and some guidance about how to use your resources intentionally and how we can think about frugality in kind of a positive way. Maybe it's not even frugality. Maybe that word isn't even a right word to use anymore. So maybe we're just going to change up what that word might be. My guest today is Jen Smith, and she is a personal finance expert, and she's also the co-host of a top-rated podcast called Frugal Friends Podcast. So there's where we're talking about the frugal. She and her husband uh, paid off $78,000 of debt in two years. So Kudos to you guys for doing that because that's a massive amount of money to pay off in in two years. Uh, And since then, she's been on a mission to help other people uh, spend in alignment with their values and to live for today while saving for tomorrow. And I say that is where the rubber hits the road. If you are resentful that you have to save, the whole thing is going to go up in smoke because you're just going to be like, this sucks. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go spend money and I'm not going to worry about my budget or my debt. And we don't want that to happen. So she's going to show us how to like stay with the plan. She's the author of two best-selling books on controlling your spending and paying off debt. The No Spend Challenge Guide and Pay Off Your Debt for Good. I think you also wrote a book called Meal Planning on a Budget. I'm actually interested to read that book. And I also believe that you're about to write another book that will be coming out in 2025. So clearly she's a busy gal. Her co-host on the podcast is Jill Siriani, who is not with us today, but she does have a frugal friend on the Frugal Friends podcast. Um, So without further ado, Jen Smith, welcome to The Fiscal Feminist. Oh, Kimberly, thank you so much for having me. That was, I (laughs) am acutely reminded of doing too much is kind of my personality trait. So yes, I have, uh, I've done a lot in the personal finance space because I love talking about frugal living and intentional spending. I just can't get enough of it. (laughs) 
Well, you know what? I think I think the world needs more of that now. And I talk a lot about intentionality with finances, with money and relationships. Literally anything to do with money, you have to be intentional with because money is something that infiltrates our entire life, whether we like it or not. And, you know, people don't sometimes want to talk about money or think about money, but when you have control of your money and it's not controlling you, your health is better, your mindset is better, you can sleep better. And so this idea of frugality is so, I think it's sometimes had like a negative connotation to it. And I think in our day and age, we kind of err a little bit on the side of excess, Uh, We also have a lot of FOMO. There's a lot going on on social media that kind of inspires us to spend more than maybe we should. We are getting constantly inundated with ads every time we open up something on Google. If we happen to buy one thing, all of a sudden we get a million ads for that. We get a lot of, you know, email uh, solicitations that are sometimes hard to, to pass up. So Actually, being frugal is almost impossible unless you're intentional about it. So before we get into all of the tangible takeaways that this audience is going to walk away from, and then they're going to start checking you out on your podcast because they're, they're going to want to know more. How did you get to be Jen Smith, a frugal friend? Oh, so I'm not naturally frugal. And that's kind of the side that I bring to the frugal friends dynamic. Jill is a natural born lover of frugality, thrift stores, uh, hunting the deal, all that sort of thing. And that's not me. I hate hunting. I love ease. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm very, very lazy, but like I love efficiency, that sort of lazy. So I used to think that I was quote unquote frugal or even dislike the word because I bought generic brand stuff. I would get the medium sized coffee instead of the large. I, you know, so I did stuff like that thinking that was enough. That was me being conscious of my consumption. And like you said, when my husband and I were paying off that $78,000 of debt, I thought my spending wasn't a problem. I was going to side hustle my way out of it, make more money. That's how I was going to solve the problem of our debt. And two months into that strategy, I got shingles from working so many hours (laughs) at the ripe age of 26. So painful. And you were so young. Uh Oh my gosh. So I had to reevaluate my methods and that meant looking at my spending. And I did not want to do that because I loved going to happy hours with friends. I love going to brunch. I love doing all these things that cost money. So did you did you have a budget before then or did you like know what was coming in and what was going out or I so I'm not a budgeter. Honestly, Jill loves her budget. I while I love planning, I do not love executing like strict plans. I'm much mm-hmm. more of like a flexible planner. Like give me an outline sort of thing. Give me a rough guesstimate and I'll kind of stick to that, which is why values-based spending is so attractive to me because I don't have to make a strict budget. Strict budgets are like like diets to me. And so many people, I know so many people are in, are in the same boat as me where, where they hate budgeting. So I would try to make this perfect budget, this budget that said I had this much to save, this much to pay off debt, and this much to spend, but by the end of the month was never the reality because my behaviors were not perfect. 
Well, you're because you're human, right? Right. <laughs> you're human. But did, did you know generally like what was coming in, it was going out. And if you had more going out than coming in, obviously most of us then kind of lay onto our credit cards to mm-hmm. fund that delta. I yes. always feel like if you know those three things, you can kind of work around where you're at with your spending. So I wasn't going into consumer debt. I wasn't overspending on my credit card, but I wasn't able to save and pay off debt. I was spending everything that I made. And at the end of the month or before I would get my paycheck, uh, then I'd be kind of living on ramen sort of thing, depending on how the month went. You know, some months I'd be living on, you know, rice and beans for a little longer. And some months I didn't spend a lot and I was fine. That's kind of the life that I was living. I think that's more of the average American. Like we are not trying to go on shopping sprees and, you know, impulse spend all this stuff, but we get to the end of the month right before, you know, rent or mortgages due and things are getting tight and we just cut back a ton. And so it leads to this false idea that that's what frugality is. Frugality is that last week of the month where you're paying attention to every penny uh, so that you can make ends meet. So it's a means to an end, essentially. And we are trying to rebrand frugality into this lifestyle of freedom where you actually know what you want, can afford it, and you can create habits and boundaries to say no more easily. Because we will say we love intentional spending. So why don't we just talk about that and forget the word frugality? It's archaic. It's, you know, got bad vibes. We really want to reclaim this word because frugality is about so much more than intentional spending. We can't be intentional 100% of the time. Sometimes your mind just takes over and you're working off habit. You're working mindlessly. So we want to work with our minds to create habits that conserve resources. So not just money, but conserve time, physical space, mental energy, all this stuff. We believe frugality is the conservation or the good stewardship of all these resources and that we can, yes, be intentional to conserve them, but we can also create, uh, you know, psychological barriers and aids, shortcuts that help us do it even when we're not being quote unquote intentional. So let me ask you a quick question. So when you, the 78,000 that you paid off, was that from credit cards or just something else? Student loans. It was all student loans between between me and my husband. Yeah. So a lot of people can relate to that because Mm -hmm. many, most people who went to university have student loans. So it doesn't have to be credit card debt. It could be student loans, which is also a burdening, you know, burgeoning responsibility to your monthly kind of living and, you know, take home having that pot of money there. I think one of the things that I saw that you said was that, well, you said two things. You had a kind of a mindset of always being broke at one point. And then you also, I think, said on your website that being frugal isn't about necessity. It's about being a better steward of time and money, kind of what you just alluded to. Because time is as important as money. And as the older you get, I can assure you, this will become very clear to you. I am experienced in this. Time becomes very finite as you start getting into your 60s. You're like, oh, shoot, you know, 30 more years, I'm going to be 90. So I love this idea of budgeting or being thoughtful about your money without deprivation. 
I think a lot of people today think if you, if you're following a budget, great. If that's your thing and you can do it, wonderful. Uh, if you're going to do it a little more loosey-goosey fashion, just being, you know, aware and you're able to kind of make progress in that lane, the, I think the most important thing is that you do it with alacrity and that you don't feel resentful about it because you think you're being frugal or mean-spirited or small because you can't live the life that you want. So can you describe what the modern frugal lifestyle means to you and how that differs from this notion of traditional frugality? Because I think when we say frugal, everybody thinks of Scrooge, right? Everyone's like, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) counting his pennies and giving the, you know, uh, I can't remember the kid's name in the story because I haven't watched Scrooge in a while, but, you know, giving him a little chicken bone. Tell me how this is different. Yeah. So frugality, yeah, frugality is kind of seen as this depression era need to survive. We're washing out our plastic bags sort of way of living. And in times of need, then that's really great. We we really, a hundred years ago, frugality was seen as this, somebody who is creative, who is resilient, who can reuse and repurpose things. Like when you were frugal, you were seen as a really intelligent person uh, who really valued quality and keeping their things well-functioning, right? So it was this lauded, you know, quality about you. And over the last hundred years, marketers have made us believe that we are consumers first and people second. So to be a person of worth, you must be a consumer. You're not of worth simply because you are a person. And so that's, that is the reason why we want to bring frugality back. (laughs) You know, they have, they've made frugality seem like this very miserly quality when a hundred years ago, it was this very celebrated quality. And honestly, time is our only finite resource, right? You can make more money. You can have more physical space. You can get eight hours of sleep and replenish your mental energy. Some natural resources are the only other like really finite resources we have, but time is 100% finite. You'll never get this moment back. And so that's why we believe in not just focusing on the money part, but remembering why the money matters. Money always matters, but you have to put it in the right order, that we are people first, not consumers. And we acquire money to afford things that money can't actually buy, like time with our friends, time with our family, a safe place to live, a place that feels like you can recharge, uh, that feels tranquil and complete. So these are all these things that money can't directly buy, but we do need money to acquire. Uh, so that's really why we want to, to reclaim the actual term frugality and not just replace it. And that's what we feel like that modern frugality, for lack of a better term, which modern frugality is like my website and screen name on all social platforms. But that's what, right. we, that's what we feel like this modern frugality is. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. 
After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today. I mean, I absolutely love this concept, and I really love what you just said, because as I have been able to watch all of this over the years, you know, given that I am older, uh, I've seen, you know, I've seen us evolve into this really big consumer society. And I think it all started when, so when I was a kid in the 60s and the 70s, like basically the only catalog that ever came out, and I don't even think it was mailed to you, was the Sears catalog, right? There was, you weren't bombarded. There went the whole time in the 80s and 90s where everything was catalogs, catalogs, catalogs being sent to you, you know? And then all of a sudden the internet was developed and then, you know, lo and behold, now we're just like, like you can't get away from consumerism. And so I do believe that you are right, that we've become consumers first and we are just obsessed with possessing things and also maybe keeping up with other people or just like, we're just junkies on buying stuff. I don't know, but you're right. Like the idea of buying something quality that will last and that you can reuse and that you take care of, there's something to me very alluring about that. It shows, um, I don't know, I'd rather have a few good things than a lot of other things that aren't, you know, that are cheap and fall apart, but, and, and just buy them for the sake of that high of buying something. So I think that you're really onto something here. And I think modern frugality is a great uh, value because it's about your value system, right? And Mm -hmm. as someone who works with a lot of wealthy people who do have a lot of money, and it's not always the case, but money cannot buy you certain things. It can't buy you your health. It can't buy you time. And when you're thinking about those things that are most important in your life, usually those things are experiences, family, friends, those things that are not, maybe maybe it's not, you know, buying a BMW. I, I don't know. That might be on the list, but it's probably after your family and your friends and your experiences. So I think that you are hitting on something that is very timely. And if we can get a movement behind it, we're probably going to have a lot more happier people because they're not going to be stressing about money, right? Yes. That's what we want. We want to create this movement. Yeah. And so, okay. So in your life, like obviously you're practicing what you preach. How do you strike a balance between living frugally and enjoying life's pleasures and experiences? Because I, you know, I talk a lot about money relationships and how when we have partners, it's really important we understand somebody's money relationships and their money personalities because it will help you have a better relationship with this person because money can bring down a lot of people's relationships. I know it did in my first marriage after over 20 some years, but I'm a saver splurger, right? So sometimes I'm really all about the saving and being, you know, traditionally frugal. And then other times, I don't know, I'm having a bad day. I'm feeling sorry for myself, or I just feel like I've done something really great at work. And I'm like, you know what? Dang, I'm going to go spend some money. And I just, I go back and forth on it, you know? And then my ex-husband, just as a real-time example, he was just a real 
analytical saver. Like he would, he will forego experiences and fun and the future for seeing money in that bank account. That to him is like, he can't get beyond that. So I always then would rebel against that, you know, in our relationship. So I want to understand, I want, I know that our audience would love to understand, like, how can you be, you know, intentional, frugal, modernly frugal, and still enjoy life and have, you know, a grand old time? And I think the first thing is that those two things are not mutually exclusive, that frugality prioritizes enjoying today while saving for tomorrow. The biggest thing that it stresses is finding out what you personally value, not what you're being influenced by on social media, not where you're being influenced by friends, coworkers, family, is to do the deep, soul-searchy things to figure out what do I truly value in life, big and small, and then giving yourself the freedom to spend on those things, and then developing the habits and the boundaries to say no to things that you don't value, those things that maybe people in your life might be influencing or pressuring you to do, the things that you've traditionally done out of habit or obligation uh, that you don't really value, that you're finding that you don't really need anymore. It's harder to say no to that stuff than honestly to just skip a coffee. So we're looking at those big things that really take up our spending and being able to say no to them. And that's why there's so much to be said for impulse spending, right? Right. We villainize it, we demonize it, but it's not really the villain. The We don't villainize anything in spending. Spending is a skill and you just have to learn how to do it well. So sometimes impulse purchases you make are going to be really valuable to you. If there's something you've been wanting for a while and you've stayed patient and this thing just pops up on sale for 40% off and you didn't plan for it in your budget, it is a great thing to impulse buy on that. And that's what impulse spending is defined as, is unplanned spending. But that's Correct. not bad. So we're not no. we're not demonizing even these like save splurge cycles. If you're somebody who loves to save so that you can afford to splurge on a bad day, that's not being not frugal. That's doing one thing so that you can afford to do another. It's just being honest and real and saying like, I do this so I need to do this. And working with our brains instead of, and our personalities, instead of against it. So these things are not mutually exclusive. They all coexist within frugality. We just want to be aware of them so that we're not doing the, you know, save, splurge, 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 save, splurge, and and deceiving ourselves to think that it's save, splurge, save, splurge, right. you know? <laughs> right. So we want to be honest and aware of these things so that we can keep those margins between expenses and income so that we can be saving and investing. So, and I think it comes down to like, your value, you know, knowing your value system and doing some like soul searching and really mm-hmm. looking at this like you would any other thing that you're kind of trying to get the pulse of how you feel about things. So a little bit of introspection with respect to how you like to spend money and really being honest with yourself. And then you can work with that information. And I think that's what I love about your message is that you're saying like, know thyself, right? 
and then mm-hmm. try to try, try to work around that. And I think one of the things I always say to people is if you know your why, then that's going to help you a lot in accomplishing whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. So if your why for saving through kind of watching your money a little bit is making sure that you have some money in the future or you have an emergency savings fund if something happens to your car, or you get sick or gives you more options in changing your career. And then also down the line, I mean, you know, we all hopefully are living longer lives now. So we have longer retirements. And if we forget about saving early and an early age, it can and really, really detrimentally affect you as you get older. Because yes, we are living longer and hopefully we're healthier and we can work longer, but you do need to have an exit plan at some point. And, and if you haven't done anything about that, that's going to be a problem. So I think if people understand their why as to why they would want to save and not just spend every cent kind of, you know, devil may care, that might, that might help the cause. I mean, don't you feel like better when you know that you've not blown your whole wad on something and that you've held a little bit back and you've shown some restraint? I mean, I always feel so good about myself because I, like you, I'm more of a spender than a saver. You know, I have... Very, I mean, I've never met a pair of shoes that I generally don't like. So, I mean, I have to control myself. But when I do do certain sensible things that way, I always feel so much better about myself that it inspires me to carry on using those habits. So you're, you know, you're living kind of an intentional, frugal, intentional spending pattern type thing with some blips along the way. You're giving yourself some grace, which I love. Just give me some like practical tips. Cause like I know you, you wrote a book or you're writing a book or you did write a book on meal planning. And I know sometimes you guys talk about like where you can get like free things, free food. What are some like real tangible tips that people can be doing that's going to help them get into this mindset and, and also keep them there? Yeah. So when we're looking specifically at saving money, lowering expenses, we tell people to focus on the big three first before anything. We're looking at housing, transportation, and food. Unfortunately, while housing and transportation take up the most of our budget, we only make those decisions once a year, maybe if that, um, certain housing and transportation But food, which is many people's either third largest expense or second, maybe even first, depending on where you're at, we make those decisions every day. So we look first to food very often to save money. And for us, the best place to start to save significant money on food is to look at your groceries. And that starts with planning. So meal planning and doing some light prep to make sure that you follow through with that meal plan. Because you, like budget, you can make a perfect meal plan, but if you don't follow through with it at the end of the week, all you have is a lot of wasted food, which is money you're throwing away, and a bunch of receipts for takeout that you bought instead. So we have to be realistic. Again, I have to say, this is so true. Are you guys listening to this? Because this is, this woman is speaking (laughs) the truth. I have done this and I know you all have done it. So listen to what she's about to say now and do it. So you have to, again, do that deep soul searchy thing where you ask yourself, like, what is my level of enjoyment with cooking? What's my level of enjoyment with cooking? cleaning and doing dishes. 
because some people do enjoy that. And those people can make meal plans that are a little bit more complex than those of us who hate cooking and cleaning. We're going to have to make very simple, low ingredient, one pot, very prepped and advanced sort of meal plans if we're going to follow through with them. Not everybody has to be Ina Garden in the kitchen. You know, we don't have to be making these complex meals for our families. And most of us honestly have gotten over that idea. Yeah. So let's yeah. just let's just be honest with ourselves in our meal planning and try to use up what we already have in our pantries and our fridge. Let's start meal planning based on what we already have. Challenge yourself to be using up as much of what you have as possible before you're buying new things. Because again, every time you waste food, you're throwing away money and you're probably ending up with with buying takeout that you didn't plan for. And this tip, I mean, I, I have to interject here because it sounds so simple, but actually how many of us, I know at the end of the week, I look at my, you know, I try to clean the refrigerator out and I get so frustrated sometimes because I bought something, it's been sitting in there and now I have to throw it out and I didn't use it. There used to be a, th- a long time ago, I think it was like in the 80s, maybe, I don't know. There was a guy who used to write a, a food column for the New York Times. I think it was Pierre Franny. And he would go in and try, he'd go into his refrigerator and see what he had and then he'd make something from it. And that would be like the recipe, you know? And I was always, and I'm always intrigued by doing that. But if you add up every head of lettuce, every bunch of tomatoes, grapes, whatever that you have not eaten and you add it up, this is significant money. And then you go and order DoorDash or Grubhub. And by the time you add all the fees and at the tip and yada, 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 Mm -hmm. like a pizza is costing you like 40 bucks. So, you know, I would just say this sounds like a, like, something very normal, but we don't do it. And just Mm -hmm. raising consciousness about it. And if you added up the money, I bet it's not insignificant. Right. No, it's super significant. And that's why we say start here. There are a million ways you can save money and we try to focus on all of them. But in reality, put away the Starbucks receipts, you know, don't pay attention to that stuff right now. Let's just start with being able to maintain a meal plan, stick to a grocery list, and get some light prep in so that you can stick to a meal plan throughout the week. Once you get that down, you're going to be saving a lot of money and you can go on to looking at different, you know, other things. But let's just start with food. Let's be intentional about that first until we don't have to be as intentional anymore. It becomes more of a habit then we can start being intentional about other things because the back burner theory is is real. You know, if you're trying to focus on four different things at once, Mm -hmm. you're only going to be able to give your full attention to one at a time. So instead of just pretending like you can change four things about your life at a time or more, let's be realistic about what our brains can do and let's just try to change one thing. And that's why I love meal planning and meal prepping so much is because you do get that big, the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak. When you're looking at the 80-20 rule, like 20% of your effort gets you 80% of your results, that food is your, is your 20%. 
and it's getting it's going to get you 80% of your results up front. And also, not to mention, I think it will also make you have a healthier lifestyle. Because when you make your own food, you know what's going in there. And mm-hmm. honestly, I have to say one of my favorite things in my kitchen is my slow cooker because I'm, you know, I have a job as a wealth manager and I do this also. And so I don't have a lot of time. So I have found that if I can get myself organized on a Sunday, do something in that slow cooker, that's going to last me a couple of days for, you know, our meals. And that kind of planning, you can just put it all in there and let it cook for five or six hours. And you don't have to do much about it. And I just think that is a really important, I'd really, I'm definitely going to check out meal planning on a budget because I, I think a lot of us do not really think about how much money that we waste on food, whether it's at restaurants, whether it's on alcohol, whether it's on DoorDash, Grubhub, whatever we're using, it's just a complete waste of money. And in those small little tweaks can be game changers. Let me ask you a quick question before I go on to my next question that I was going to ask you is, so how do people, what recommendations do you have for people about housing? Because housing is taking up a lot of people's money. Like, you know, the old rule of thumb is about 30% of your gross pay. But I do believe in certain areas in this country, that number is is way over 30%. Mm -hmm. What recommendations do you give to people about how to find housing that is a sanctuary, like you stated, because it's important that our house, we go in there and we just walk in and go, so glad Mm -hmm. to be here. And it's not like, oh my God, I can't stand living here. What tangible things can you recommend to people about staying intentional, not overspending, but also living in a place that, you know, brings them some peace? Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be different depending on where you're living. There are some areas where renting has become more affordable than buying a house. And in those areas, definitely recommend renting if you don't already own. If you already own, then I would say making sure that you are keeping your house a place of sanctuary or decluttering and simplifying to the place where you feel like your house decor is complete. Like when you feel like things are complete and you are decluttered and organized, that is going to make you more content with where you are and not feeling like you want to upgrade. There, there's a, there was a study done, I forget the university, but they looked at maybe 12 families and where they all like congregated on the first floor of their home. And something like only like 40 to 50% of the home was used by somebody, or maybe 60%, somewhere in that range. But so there's, you know, at least 40% of our homes, and that's just the first floor, that aren't really being used. So the fact is that you probably don't need more square footage. You don't need a bigger house to be content. But there are things that you can do to be content with what you already have. And yes, there are, you know, things that you can do to lower your utility costs and small things. But I think the biggest thing is to stay in the home that you own for the entirety of the mortgage if you can and not leaving it to get, you know, a more expensive house with a higher interest rate. Like if we can be content where we are and figure out ways to to preserve what we have, being content without being complacent, then that is going to be the biggest saver for people who already own a home. And I like this idea. I mean, decluttering 
and getting it to look in the way that you want will prevent you then from going out and trying to buy more things to make it look better or fill it with unnecessary things. And I think that's, I I mean, honestly, no one, I haven't really heard anyone say that before. And I like that concept. Uh, I like you also tell people renting is also, is, is a fine option. I run millions of financial plans. This is what I do for a living. And sometimes buying a house is really not the best thing to do. I rented after my divorce for almost eight or nine years because I was trying to figure out where I wanted to live. I needed to get my children acclimated as they were getting older. I was reestablishing my career. I needed space to think about where I wanted to be. And I also needed to marshal my resources because I was literally, you know, sailing very close to the wind with my money as I was building my life back up in my early 50s. And um, I needed to, to preserve liquidity. And I would say now, especially with interest rates high as they are, I would think really deeply about whether or not I wanted to buy a house in this environment and maybe renting might be a better option. And I think what you say is correct. We don't use a lot of our space that we have. So bigger houses mean more expenses, more carrying costs. I mean, when you're looking at a house and you think you want a bigger house, just realize the water bill, the electric bill, the gardening bill, whatever else comes with it, it's just a lot more money because it's not just the house, it's all the stuff that goes with it. And so you need to think really carefully about that uh, because that can be a real problem if you're trying to just always ante up with the housing. So when you're prioritizing your spending decisions and you're trying to allocate your resources, which in itself is a, is a task, how do you do it without like feeling guilty or bad about it? Like it sounds to me like this is a value system that you're trying to instill in people. How do you get people to like just lose the old style mindset about denying themselves things and feeling bad about that? Because they're actually gaining in other ways, but I'd like you Mm -hmm. to speak to that. Yeah. So we say that there's no deprivation in frugality, but there is sacrifice. You do have to lay down the acquisition of some things in order to be able to afford or pick up other things that are more important to you. And eventually you you will do that with more joy, not always, all joy. It's not all joy to sacrifice right. yeah, yeah, You want to go on this thing. fancy vacation and you don't go. Yeah. So it's not all joy, but eventually once you've been doing this for a while and you have gotten some of the things that you have, you've said no to other things in order to be able to have, you know, the things more important. Once you've experienced that, then it becomes easier to lay down these things or not pick up these things that aren't as important. But that comes with time. It's always hard up front in the moment when we want something. Instant gratification is a thing. And we want to we want to work with it. We don't want to deny ourselves instant gratification across the board. But we have those that's one of those things that you have to be intentional with. Like what do I instantly gratify myself with? What can I afford? to treat myself with, so to speak. We have this like, you know, treat yourself culture where everything is treat yourself, treat yourself. But we forget that meme came from Parks and Rec where it was just one day a year. (laughs) One day a year, it was treat yourself day, not Not 365, right? Right. So like that's totally valid. We just have to, you know, 
plan for that day or I don't I don't love to just do it for a day but you know just like plan for it yeah um, like have a treat yourself once a quarter day every three months to treat yourself day you know if you know right. that you look forward to it and whatever it's that important is. it's important to include that because as frugal people we can start to feel guilty about spending the money that we've saved or just or spending the money we've budgeted because we like to see that money in the account that's uh, as many people love to spend are the people who love to just save and have that security. Yeah. So we need to almost also train our brains to be able to spend on what we value. And we call it, so the, the name of our book that we're writing is Buy What You Love Without Going Broke. And we want to teach people to identify like, what do you love? What do you actually love? Not just the things that you spend money on, but what do you love and spend money on it without guilt? Like, and that can be anything, but it's not everything. So some people are just like, oh, I love everything. I love spending money on everything. But when everything is special, nothing is special. And everybody has special things that bring them joy, make them happy, make them fulfilled. Uh, And then their families also have things that make them feel great. And so when we can all, everybody in our family, our our partner, our kids, when we all know what we love or we're on this journey to finding what we love, then we can have more grace for our partners when they spend on the things Mm -hmm. they love because we know they're saying yes to this and I don't value it at all, but they say no to this, this, and this. And you've had a conversation with them about it. Mm-hmm. So you're on the same page and you're sharing what you value and what you want to accomplish as a, together and separately. Yes. And when we teach our children to do the same thing, then they grow into adults who better know themselves, what they deserve, and can spend in a way that enhances that. Uh, and and we are all thrust into this world with no idea how to spend money. Our idea of spending money is to just spend all of it or spend none of it. There is no yeah. in between. And so when we can have those conversations between partners and have those open conversations with our kids, we can teach them how to spend money wisely that doesn't feel like deprivation or it doesn't feel like this weight, like like kids who've seen their parents just buy everything and save nothing for retirement. Yes. Uh, who feel ashamed or guilty to spend money. That's also what we don't want to you know, cultivate in our children. So it, when we're having these open conversations, everybody is healthier, not just financially, but like emotionally as well. Yeah, and I think you're so right. I mean, it's, it's kind of this um, barbell of extremes, right? Like, you know, spending everything and being, you know, so obsessed with saving that you just won't cut yourself a break and have any, you know, you won't set, you won't spend anything. And so moderation, like kind of just being in the middle there and knowing that money is a means to an end, it can provide you with some amazing, you know, experiences that you will remember to the day you die, as long as you, you know, you figure out the best way to, to spend on that and not spend on everything that comes down the path. Like I know this year I really want to rent a house for my three daughters who are all older and their husbands and boyfriends to all come in the summer. That's a priority for me. I'm going to save for that. I'm not going to spend on certain other things because I want to do that. That's my priority this year. What's my priority for 2024? That's what it is. 
and I've made that decision, right? And so I'm not going to go buy other things I might want to buy. That will have to be for another time. I like that you touched upon the word shame. I know like it's hard, uh, especially like I've had this discussion with my older daughter. She just got married last year. A lot of her friends are getting married. There's all these like bachelorette events, parties, travels, and they're expensive, right? And if you have a lot of friends, Mm -hmm. this could like add up. And there's the shame if you don't do it. And it's really hard to say no, like I can't go because I just did five of them and I'm just, you know, I'm tapped out. How do you advise people to like handle that in A, declining and B, not feeling really bad about themselves because they're doing it, but they kind of need to do it. How do you handle that part of it? Because I think it's, I think especially as you grow older, hopefully you become more of your authentic self and you don't care about saying, no, you don't care as much about no, you, you learn how to say no. Although not everybody gets to that point because it is kind of a, a hard uh, quality to have to say no, especially as women. I think we like to say yes and be accommodating to people. But the shame thing when you have to like not go to an event because maybe the travel's too expensive, how do you deal with that? That is the hardest part. I think that is part of the creating the boundaries uh, to say no. And I think it the lead up, it doesn't, it, you can't just be like spending willy nilly on all these things. And then your last friend gets married and be like, oh, sorry, tapped out. Like, yeah, I can't go now. Because they think they're less important than everybody else, right? So you, there comes with some lead up work. And that's First, open conversations about money. I think all friends should be talking about money, not in a way that says like, oh, I'm broke. How about you? But just what are my financial goals? What are your financial goals? What am I making? What are you making? How can we increase our income? What are you spending on this? How can we lower expenses? What are, you know, the savings hacks that everybody's using? Open and honest conversations about money is the first thing. And then when your friends know what your financial priorities are, like I am working to pay off my student loan debt, that's my financial priority right now. And not everybody gets 100% of your budget. You have to be diligent in, in keeping some for these quote unquote impulse expenses that we want to be able to afford. Because if you know, you've got one friend getting married and you spend 100% of your you know, budget for people getting married (laughs) on them. And then somebody else gets engaged and has this pop-up engagement party that you really want to attend. And and you can't unless you overspend elsewhere. And so we want to be really intentional with making sure that we have some kind of budget set aside, some kind of miscellaneous fund for these impulse expenses, right? Yeah, because they're going to come up. They're going to come up. Miscellaneous, whatever you want to call it, that we set aside some money first and foremost there, but that we're also being honest with our friends. And when it comes time to say no, that that we just, we make it about the goals and saying like, I, I am so sorry, this is not going to fit in my budget right now. Like, you know, I'm trying to do this. And I had to say no, like to this other thing that I wanted to do. So it's not just you. It's not just me being selfish. I, you know, I probably wouldn't say like that, but like you want to, you want to let them know it's not just about them. It's not just about you, but it's about 
having the self-discipline to create this goal. And that also gives them permission to, once they're, you know, done thinking about wedding stuff, to, to say no. Because you are kind of teaching them how to say no to something that's difficult. So yeah. we almost have this social responsibility to be to be standing firm in our boundaries because it gives others permission to have boundaries as well. But definitely I don't don't blame it on other people. Don't, you know, say that it's anything about, you know, the order in which people got married, but just have these open conversations and then when you can't afford something, bring it back around to something they already know that you're working on. Um, and if you haven't had those open conversations and you're just trying to start eliciting some boundaries, uh, you can just be honest about that and be like, hey, I just took inventory of my expenses and my income. And with what I want to do in the future, I have to cut back on these sorts of expenses. Uh, and I'm just, I'm so sorry. I'm devastated. But like this right now is is a priority to me and I still love you. Maybe you can give them a gift instead mm-hmm. or, or go out to dinner, something less expensive. It's going to be like $500 for the bachelorette party and be like, I can't do that, but I would love to go to happy hour and treat you and celebrate you that way. And that's probably you know, closer to $50, something like that. So those are, it, it's hard, but there are sometimes you just got to like push through and do the hard thing, but there's also things you can do to soften the fall. Right. And I think that, I think the thing is, if you do go to the bachelorette thing, that's $500, you come back, you're stressed out. You probably put it on your credit card and you're going to be like worried about it. Whereas you could do it for a lot less, take someone out for happy hour, enjoy that moment, Mm guilt-free. They're going to love you for being honest. And I think what I'm getting from what you're saying and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that a lot of what you're saying is about value systems. It's about being your authentic self and understanding what you need to do to be in your good space financially and mentally, and then having the confidence to execute that and not being apologetic in the sense that you aren't trying to look at every, what everybody else is doing and keeping up with them. You're just saying, this is what's right for me. This is what I make. I'm going to live within the parameters of what I'm making right now. And I can always try to get a better job or change that. But within what I'm doing right now, this is what I can accomplish. And I think that is a very good and important message. So I'm walking away from the this thinking modern frugality is almost about you know, authenticity and confidence and, and just, you know, being good in yourself and and not feeling the need to like be something that you can't afford to be. And also allowing yourself to have fun with money while saving and not making it this big, like ball and chain around your neck. Yes. Amen. Love and modern frugality. I mean, <laughs> I, and I and also like eating better food because you're making it and you're not yes. letting it go to waste. So. And you can afford to put, you know, some salt and sugar in whatever you're making because, you know, if you got takeout, it'd have way more salt and way more sugar than you would ever add. So don't be afraid 
of the seasoning when you're cooking. A hundred percent. Amen to that. I love me some seasoning. And don't forget about that slow cooker because that thing is, I don't know who Mm -hmm. invented it, but I love that thing. And that has just changed my life. I got one a billion years ago and I still use it because I just throw everything in it, put it on for six hours. And I'm like, yeah, this is good. So if you have one parting thing to say to people who are just you know, this money thing is a struggle. They're really trying. Sometimes they're falling off the wagon. And like maybe many people who are listening to this today are in debt. And so debt, paying down the debt is part of their mix of things they got to think about. What is just, I know it's kind of hard to boil it down to one thing, but what is one piece of advice you could offer to them to just maybe even just kickstart this whole thing? So before you make a budget, before we start thinking about the future, let's look at the past real quick. Do a 90-day transaction inventory. So go to your credit card, debit card, anywhere that you spend money, put it all together from the last 90 days and look at what you've spent. This isn't like a guilt trigger or a shame trigger. This is literally just to look at these individual expenses and say, did what was I doing before I made this? What headspace was I in? Where was I on my way to? What triggered this expense? And did it get me what I wanted? Did it provide for me the physical, emotional, mental response that I was going for? So that way, when we're going forward and we're making expenses in real time, we can remember, hey, I made... I got this coffee on the way to visit my mother-in-law last time, and it did not help with my mental space like I thought it would. What is something else I can do to do just that? Uh, And so that we are hitting our targets and not trying to spend to solve problems where spending cannot solve the problem. So that 90-day transaction inventory, looking back at the expenses you've made, uh, the reasons behind making them and what they got you. Excellent advice. You are very sage, young woman. Um, I can call you young because you are to me. <laughs> um, and I want everyone to know where they can find all this amazing advice that you have. So I know there's books. So tell us where we can get the books. Tell us about the podcast. Tell us about the website, mm-hmm. newsletters, whatever else you got going on. So uh, you can find the Frugal Friends podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. We release two episodes a week. Um, on unique ways to save money, and then also encouragement, motivation, and insight on how to spend better. Uh, And then we also do the same thing in a newsletter three times a week. Uh, You can find that and subscribe at frugalfriendspodcast.com. There'll be a a pop-up and it's at the top bar. And then all of my books are on Amazon uh, right now. The No Spend Challenge Guide, uh, Pay Off Your Debt for Good, and meal planning on a budget. My name is Jen Smith. Usually if you search that on Amazon, you can find my books. I don't know if there's any other Jen Smith's writing books. There probably are, but I tend to pop up (laughs) at the top. Um, And then, yeah, definitely follow along. uh, Get on the friend letter, our our newsletter, and you will be the first to know uh, when pre-sales open for Buy What You Love Without Going Broke. So I think all of this is so amazing. And just one other thing I want to add here is remember what Jen just said. It's not only about knowing how to save, but it's about how to spend 
better. And to me, that's kind of the linchpin with this, right? If you spend better by definition, the effect of that is going to be you're going to save, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not like spending like a wild person with no intention, not even knowing what makes you feel good. I love the 90-day transaction history. I think that is going to make you reflect on all of the feelings you had on the money that you did spend. I know when I look at my credit card bill at the end of the month, I'm like, why in God's name did I get that? You know, what was, what was going on with me then? Um, and then I'm like, okay, yeah. I don't, and, or I look at subscriptions that I have that I don't even know that I have. And I'm like, oh my God, how do I even have all these things? So all of that makes a lot of sense. I think there's so much wisdom that Jen is putting out there. So you, you know, please follow her. Jen, thank you so much. I have found this so enlightening. I'm definitely going to buy meal planning on a budget because I'm intrigued. I actually do like to cook. So, and I get really frustrated when I waste food. I find that to be like one of my pet peeves in life with myself. I think you're doing, you're spreading the word, you're saying all the, the good things and um, you're, you're very wise. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, guys, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Definitely check out Jen Smith. You're going to get so many great tips. And in the end, you're going to save some money and have fun spending what you do spend. Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.